Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag with me, Marcus Speller, and him, Andy Brassel. Hi, Andy. Hello. Thanks for not making me say my name like they do on the other Ramble shows. As you know, I find that deeply traumatic. So um, yeah. it's nice to have a little break from that. It is a bit strange. You Normally your hype man says your name. <laughs> or you just shout, say my name to people and they do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm rocking at the moment, despite it being quite a warm day, the sort of look that Kanye West did on the college dropout tour before he started having stuff designed by Christian Dior and all that sort of stuff, when it was just him, a pair of decks, a Jimmy Tarbuck jumper and his Jesus piece thrown on on top. Jimmy Tarbuck jumper? Yeah, he was big into the golf jumpers back in the day, old Kanye. I don't think ah. he likes to talk about it now, but... Okay. I'll, I don't I don't really... Do you, do you like Kanye West music? Um, his early music, very much, yes. Yeah. I, sorry, I, sorry, I should have said, like, his last sort of... His latest offerings. There's, there's still good bits in it, I think. But it's, mm. it's kind of like Morrissey. It's becoming harder to separate <laughs> the personality <laughs> from the music as time goes by. Mm. Yeah. You see, you just don't get that with Shed 7. You can just enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can the, imagine uh... myself having a pint with Northern Uproar. <laughs> In fact, I can imagine buying Northern Uproar a pint. It's that long since I've had a hit. But anyway. Well, well, I never said never, Andy. So um, let's uh, have a deep dive into uh, the bag of mail. And let's start with this one from Ali, who says, uh, following recent reports linking Alfredo Morelos to Napoli and Lazio, I was wondering if Andy Brassel could provide a bit of insight into how Morelos and other SPFL players are viewed by other European leagues. I'm surprised that there hasn't been stronger links for Eduard, especially after Dembele's move proved to be a relative success. With Rangers and Celtic both doing well in the Europa League, are clubs starting to pay more attention to their star players? It's a really interesting question. I'm not sure we've reached a sort of critical mass over Scottish players yet, despite the improved performances in Europe of, of Rangers and Celtic. And I think if you compare it to, I guess, what you call their... Um, the more glory, the greater glory years of Rangers and Celtic. We're probably going back 15 years to when they actually did proper damage in the, in the Champions League on a semi-regular basis. I remember the first year I lived in France and Rangers came to Lyon and, and, and won 3-0. Of course, they lost the return leg yeah. that year. It was 2007, 2008, 3-0 at Ibrox. So Lyon ended up going through. But at that point, Lyon were a very competitive European team. So it was, it was very impressive. Who knows? Maybe as we speak, Rangers won a friendly at Lyon yesterday. So who knows? Maybe it's the start of something all over again. Um, I think Dembele is a really interesting one to focus on, actually, because he is um, a player who has done okay since he's arrived at Lyon. And I guess you would say he's one of their most important players now. Um, he's also someone, because he's come from um, the old firm and, and, and done pretty well, mm. there's this sense that he's almost on loan to continental football. You know, it's almost a bit like Jaden Sancho in a way, because Dembele's not yeah, that I different in, 
in that in that he he came up as a, a kid you know since since he was mid-teens he was in england and we think of him to some degree as an english product in the same way that we would think of um sesc fabregas as an english product for example yeah. so it's assumed as you say marcus that he'll come back to the premier league at, at some point and I think that really affects the way he's viewed because people are, were aware of his talent at, at Fulham. Obviously, at some one point, it looked like he would he, he would go to Spurs um, to join his almost namesake, and then he he did pretty well at, at Celtic. Um, so it's, people are people are watching him. It's not like he's a name thrown into um, transfer speculation in newspaper columns or web gossip columns. Where people think, oh, this guy's interesting. Oh, I wonder if I could find out a little bit more about him. We feel like we know Moussa Dembélé as British football fans already. Um, what I would say is, even though he's valuable to to Lyon, and I think he's very, very good last season, um, the, the way he plays and the way he's talked about by people around the club, so the president Jean Michel Olas, the coaching staff. They talk of him like you would talk of a player of 19, 20 with potential yeah. rather than someone who, you know, if you, if you think of someone of that sort of age, you think, I don't know, maybe a, a Bruno Fernandes. He's different, of course, because yeah. he's, you know, got a very wide palette in that um, he came through an academy in Portugal, then went and finished off his education in Italy came back to Portugal, so he's maybe got more experience than someone of, of of that age normally does, and he's more cosmopolitan than someone of that age normally does. But what I'm saying about Dembélé, when you bear in mind that he came through the PSG system, that he grew up in England, that he's played in Scotland, it feels like he's still got quite a lot to learn, and the people around him feel that as well. Um, I would suggest that if Leon got a big offer for him, they, they would take it. Um, certainly he's, if they had I mean, someone... he's got 20 plus goals or at least 20 goals in each of his seasons since he's been at Leon. Le- Le- he's performed yeah, well. Which is, which is impressive and especially when you consider he wasn't an automatic pick for that for that first season. Um, mm. He's a really, really, really good finisher. And the thing I particularly like about him, as I may have mentioned before, is that when you watch replays of him on television or see a photo of him in the act of scoring a goal, what I particularly love is his eyes get really wide like saucers when he's just about to score. Oh, you've mentioned this before. Yes, that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. I absolutely love it. <laughs> the, the, the difficulty for him, if you're talking about the difference between someone who can score a lot of goals at a good level and someone that if I'm an elite club, I'm going to pay 50, 60 million for. It's the stuff around the box. Um, yeah. I think we've always looked at him as someone who scores goals and that's it, really. He's started to move away from that. This season, it's not just that he's scored goals consistently, that he's uh-huh. been consistently first pick for Lyon. It's that he's contributed a bit more in terms of his all-round game. But I think, of course, all players develop at, at different ages. And I think it's on us, really, as a as a public and because we always want to know the next big thing that we expect players to be finished articles a lot earlier than they actually are. Um, So maybe he's developing at a a more normal level, but I I also don't think it's unreasonable to to say that in this modern environment, we expect him to 
have a little bit more about him at this age than he actually has. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if I'm Chelsea or Manchester United looking to play pay 50 million plus for him. So Dembele is very much a leader in terms of those players coming out of the, the Scottish Premier League. But I don't think I look at him and think he's had an enormous tactical education. I wouldn't look at him and think, right, I'm going to go back to the Scottish Premier League and, and, and look at the Scottish Premiership and, and, and look at other players, really. Um, Alfredo Morelos is an interesting one because he's someone who's had it, it, interest in France as, as, as well. Someone who looks like he's better than the level that he's at. But just where that level is, is hard to say. It's yeah. just like if you're buying a, a striker from the Eredivisie, really. How are you going to know if that's going to translate into a top league? Um, so the price that the price that he will be sold for or the price that Rangers want for him um, affects the the market of the clubs that are out there. And the clubs mm-hmm. that can pay that sort of price, are they going to want to buy him? And yeah. I, I think it's a genuine and, and fair question. Um, Odson Edouard is, is, is a different one again because he's got a certain reputation to, to, shred, to shed, not necessarily in... Um, continental football because I'm, I'm not sure that many people know who he is but what he's mainly known for in France is being Ashley Cole without the medals because of course he, he got thrown out of um he got thrown out of, of, of his club for for shooting mm-hmm. someone with an air rifle basically <laughs> so oh um yeah he's he's gonna have to work on on that reputation but I think it's it's interesting to see if the, the the players is it's, it's problematic i think because it, when mm-hmm. you have the very very best players for the best teams in that league obviously they're worth an enormous amount to rangers or celtic because they can get them into european competition um they can help them win stuff and they can get big bucks in the club so if they want to sell them they're going to want to sell them for proper money but how do you define their value i think there's a bit of a gulf between their value to celtic and rangers mm-hmm. and the value that the sort of clubs that are looking to buy them, so whether it be a Nice, Lyon, or, or anyone else, are willing to pay for them. And maybe that gulf between um, the value to the old firm and the value of what other clubs on the continent are willing to pay for them is going to be even more accentuated post-COVID-19. This is Jack. This is Morello. Um, Andy, would you mind if I asked you uh, a question on behalf of Stevie Bear 1905? I would love to hear a question from Stevie Bear 1905 said in your voice. I thought you might. Uh, Well, Big Stevie B says, I would love to hear some more from Brassel about uh, uh, Cadiz CF, as he's put it. Uh, or as they're called, uh, following their promotion to La Liga. From my background reading, they seem to be a club with a lot of history going up and down the leagues and nearly were close to extinction in the 90s. Is it a fairy stale? It, fairy stale, that's not what we want. Nobody wants a fairy stale, for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> let's make that abundantly clear. Is it a fairy tale story to have them back in the league for the first time since 2006? Can they survive in the top league? Or is it expected they won't be around for long and the fairy tale goes stale, thus creating a fairy stale? <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you know what? I don't think anyone is even thinking about the stale bit of it just yet. Um, <laughs> I'm a great believer in that you should celebrate promotion for all that it's worth before you start getting into the grim reality of playing in the division above. And I think that is a sentiment shared not just by Cadith fans, but by fans all over Spain. Because um, as Bear points out, and as he's used over-familiarity to call me as Brassel, I'm going to use that same over-familiarity to call him To be fair, he had he actually put at Andy Brassel. It was uh, it was our Did previous. Uh, yeah. Oh, so it's you who's being over familiar, Speller. I am. Yeah, oh, no, no. Speller. Even Ali Ali put at Andy Brassel as well. Sorry, I've done everybody a disservice. Just to um, clarify, I do enjoy a bit of over familiarity. Don't don't worry. Um, our next question provides just the, your surname, Andy, so uh, you can save oh. your wrath for that for him. Brilliant. It's, it's, it's not it's not wrath. It's uh, gentle yoshing, I believe they called it in the 1940s. Oh, okay. oh, very good, very good. Yeah. Um, but yes, back to Cadiz and their and or, or Cadiz, sorry, no Cadiz. I was right the first Cadiz. time. And their and their fantastic badge, which has got a guy in a sort of a sackcloth um, sort of gear. It's a bit like he's a sort of a, a contender in a gladiatorial sort of arena. Um, Looks like they've accentuated his his pouch a bit there, which is quite generous of them. And he is he's got it looks like he's got a lion on each hand, like by the scruff of the neck. But they're kind of like his pets walking in the same direction as him. So do check that out. I'll tell you what, I can't wait for the latest Ramble series in which you describe club badges. I'm very much <laughs> looking forward to you uh, describing the Wimbledon one when, when the time comes. No. Well, it's sort of like, do you remember when HSBC was <laughs> the Midland Bank and it had that kind of eagle? Well, this is like one of those, but with two heads, like it's from, from some mutant horror film. You're damn bloody right, Andy. Caddis, uh, <laughs> though. Cadiz, Andy, I, I, it's a place I'd love to go on holiday because I hear very, very good things. It's meant to be an absolutely stunning place. That's delightful. Have you it's been? Delightful. Yeah, I have. I've, I've, I've spent a day there, and oh. it's it, it's somewhere where you can't help but feel the atmosphere takes you, and that, that's definitely um, a reason behind why they're they're, they're 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 so popular and they're they're so loved by by neutrals all over the place. So for them to come back into the top flight after 14 years, um, no one's saying at the moment, oh, well, they're going to finish dead bottom of the table uh, because people want them to to stay up. And, you know, that's, that's, that's great. And, you know, we've seen small clubs, smaller clubs than Cadiz thrive in the, in the top flight in recent years. Um, you know, you look at not just Levante, Leganes, you look at what Getafe have been doing over the last couple of years, still battling for Europe as, as, as we talk about, um, as, as, as we talk today, and of, of course still in the, the the Europa League as well this season with the, this tie against Inter, and of course the smallest of them all, Abar, who had to raise the mm. capital to be actually allowed to take their place in the top flight in, in, in the first place. So even though it went wrong for Cardiff last time up. Um, the, the 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 carnival nature of the city, I think, um, means people will, will will be delighted to to see them, and and that they will have a lot of neutral support. And I think if you look at where they've come from, it's 
an extraordinary story because as we say they were last up 14 years ago and in fact if memory serves in the first game of that season it was where Robinho made his debut for Real Madrid away at Cadiz uh-huh. and was was involved in a, in a in a late winner there so that tells you exactly how long ago it was but, um they've they've been uh, to to the wilderness and back since um they were down in the Segunda Bay for a while, which is outside the professional top two divisions. And um, I'm sure we've explained before, but I think it's worth a bit of a refresher. The fact that when you get knocked out of um, the top two divisions in, in Spain, and of course, Deportivo Valle Coruña of all teams have been flirting with the drop for a large part of, of, of this season. Mm. Um, it's, it's really hard to get back because it's what, eight parallel divisions and you winning your league is not a guarantee of you getting promoted. You've got to play playoffs afterwards against mm. all the par- uh, against teams from the parallel divisions. So to, to I, I know getting promoted to the, the Primera is, is, a, is a tremendous feat. Getting up to La Liga and being able to play Real Madrid and Barcelona, etc. Fantastic. The big achievement really is getting out of the Segunda B because it is bloody hard. There is no doubt about that. And mm. we had Mallorca this season um, being promoted like, well, they were promoted two successive seasons, in fact. They they came up from Segunda B to Segunda and then straight up to Primera. I think the last team to do that was Granada. Um, so it shows it, 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 it can be done. But the story of them getting promoted back up to the Segunda, that's that's fantastic and yeah. really part of the, the modern Cadiz story, I suppose. I, I think if we go a bit further back... Um, uh, Stevie Bear talks about the fact that um, they uh, nearly went out of business in the 90s. And actually, um, it was Manuel Ruiz de la Pera, the president of Betis at the time, who um, saved them to all intents and purposes. Because, I mean, this is how much Cadiz loved, actually. I think this is a really good example. Because... Um, they were they were really close to going out of business. They were playing this pre-season trophy game against Betis, and Lopera waived the money that Betis were due, which was about forty grand, so Cadiz could keep it and keep going, which is magnanimous and nice anyway. But when you realise like what Luis de Lopera was like, and that he was a guy who made his money, who originally made his fortune. Um, renting out television sets to people, but a bit like radio oh, rentals in the old day, but in the <laughs> yeah. very, 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 very small print, saying oh. that after a certain time he had to buy it. That's how uh, he made his money. Naughty. And so as, as, essentially, it was like if, you know that bit in the Empire, uh, not the Empire Strikes Back, Return the Jedi, where mm. the, the Emperor is... Um, like sort of put, putting his thunderbolts on Luke Skywalker. Yeah. If he'd have like the bit where he's like crawling on the floor going, father, please. He'd have reached across, sort of pulled back the arm of his cowl and going, only joking young fella, get up. And there you go. Here's 10 pounds. Buy yourself some sweets. It's, it's like a little bit like that, but it shows what I, what I, I don't think it is. I don't think it you is know, like that. 
Do you know? Well, I'll I, I, I tell you what. La is not a missed figure by a lot of Real Betis fans. And for, for him to do something magnanimous like that is extraordinary and shows okay. you something about how popular they are. They're always really well supported away. They're noisy. They're colorful. I read a brilliant article about them the other day. Um, in, in one of the Spanish newspapers where they were referred to, referred to as the original yellow submarine. Yeah, one in the eye oh. for Santi Cazorla and all of those. They're the yeah. original yellow submarine. And the Beatles. They're, they're really loved, absolutely. And that they know how to party as well. I mean, the scenes were fantastic when mm. I had the chance to go up, what, last weekend, and they lost at home to Fuenlabrada, which was a bit of a downer because a win would have seen them over the top. And then Real Oviedo did them a favor the next day and uh, won at Saragossa to, to, to make sure they were definitely promoted. So they all watched it at the club together and they had a big party afterwards, very Cadiz-style fiesta fate. And um, it gave rise to one of my favorite tweets of the year so far, which uh, was a picture of uh, Juan Cala, who you might remember played for Cardiff for a bit, as well as um, Granada, Sevilla, teams like that. Mm. There's a picture of him in front of uh, the, the club symbol at, at the entrance with a massive cigar in his mouth. And uh, he just tweeted the caption, me encanta que los planes salgan bien, which, of course, is Spanish for I love it when a plan comes together. Mm-hmm, like that. Now which I enjoyed. Andy. That's very good. Now, we're going to finish with this from Aaron, who says, I'd love Brassel to give us a bit go. of an... Yeah, to give us a bit of an idea which players have come around in the wrong or right generation. When I started watching football in the late 90s and early noughties, it seemed the majority of teams, in England at least, played a 4-4-2. And from memory, the shifted when Mourinho came in at Chelsea, successfully implementing a 4-5-1 slash 4-4-3. My question on this is which players from before this changed to more tactical formations went by the wayside as they didn't fit into these 4-4-2s? And are there players who have benefited from playing in a different generation? Presumably, yes. Uh, Aaron, but I see. I take your point without being a, a knob about it. Um, so yes, is or is there the case for saying some players have just come through at the wrong time, whether they'd have been more suited to coming through earlier or later? There's a lot in there, Andy, but I think you get the gist. Uh, yes, let's start with. Let's start with Michael Owen. Michael he Owen was. He came along for for part of his career. He was at the at the right time. And then it went into a different phase where he was a little bit at the wrong time. Hmm, interesting. Well, it's it's funny when you think about Liverpool strikers. Actually, I mm. do think of Gibril Cisse kind of being on the cusp of that. Obviously, he was held back by major injury. Well, same with Owen. Yeah, abs- absolutely. But I think the fact that um, Cisse springs to mind because he was someone who was signed as an absolutely rampant centre forward by one coach, Gerard Ullier, and then inherited by another coach, Rafa Benitez. And even if Cissé had never mangled his leg at Blackburn that time, 
maybe it wouldn't have worked out for him at, at Liverpool because Benitez seemed hell-bent on playing him on the wing. I mean, it was shades of Gary Lineker under, under Cruyff at Barcelona, really. Um, that's a tactic. And- that's not a generational thing or, or a sort of a fad thing. That's just a managerial change. Um, I, I don't know about that actually, because I I do think um, if because of because of the way football was was going, mm. Cisse with his pace was always going to get forced onto the onto the wing, and that is a massive massive deal. I I think I think you lose so much of him there, and I guess that's happened to a, a lot of players. I mean, Luka Modric is always an interesting one to me. Because he almost fell through the cracks of yeah. of English football. Because you remember him playing out on the left for Spurs, mm-hmm. and in the end, him and I guess also David Silva is definitely the case. Um, they changed the way that midfield players are viewed in the Premier League. Um, yeah. So I, I think actually, regardless of of any tactical systems that that, that are preferred at any time. Because it was the first time that people grasped in the Premier League that, okay, you don't have to be six foot and 84 kilos to succeed in the centre of midfield in, in, in the Premier League. And funnily enough, you know, we talked about David Beckham before. Maybe David Beckham suffered a little bit from that. I mean, for me, there, there never seemed to be any shame in him being... A, a terrific right winger. I mean, that's well. Aaron that's fine. mentions Beckham. He, he talks about Beckham. You know, exactly uh, coming along at the right time in a four four two, and maybe not in the centre. But actually, Beckham did play in the centre for a bit. And in a midfield three, you think of France ninety eight. Beckham could operate there. Yeah, he did. I mean, I, I kind of, I, t- I tend to think is is a bit his Tony Blair moment, really, isn't it, Beckham? The fact that he felt that he had to play infield to guarantee his legacy, where. Yeah. I don't think that's really the case. He's he's a sensational player, which whichever way you you look at it. But I do wonder as well with Beckham if he either plays in Italy earlier or he comes along a little bit later down the line. Is he a central midfielder? I think that's a reasonable question. He Can probably would ima- be in a three. Pardon? He would be in a three. He wouldn't be a winger. No, I mean he's he's, he's not quick enough, and he always mm. looks for the for the early pass as well. But I wonder if he's in, I don't know, say, say if he's in say if he's in Italy, if he goes to Serie A five years earlier, can he become that Pirlo player? I don't think there's any reason why not. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I take that. The other name that leapt to mind for me is that Teddy Sheringham was in the right generation. Mm. And often those types of players, they were, they were, England didn't produce that many, you could argue. Um no, he's very unusual for an English player. Yeah, and but he, but he played in a front too, and he was excellent. Mm. You needed a proper goal scorer or a more out and out man, say like Shearer, who wasn't always that in his career in the early days with Sutton up front. But but for England, you know, they were great together, and he would he would sort of drop off. But I don't think Sheringham again. If you if we're using four two three one or four three three as the template nowadays. I don't see Sheringham really fitting into that. I mean, I suppose he would be the out-and-out front man. But again, that's not really where you get the benefit of Sheringham. No, you need him, someone up there with him, if you see what I mean. So I, th- I think he was uh, one of those ones. Um, I mean, about, it's not to uh, say that you, if you... I mean, I think we've come to a belated realisation that mm. you can play with 
um, three up top and then maybe have another player slightly behind this, the, the, the central striker. But mm. that's a relatively new development and teams still don't tend to try that against strong opposition, do they? That's considered no. like a luxury pick for when you're playing a team that you want to try and break down or a team that you want to absolutely uh-huh. belt, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'll tell, tell you another one that you could, you could make it an odd argument for, and I admit it's my argument and I'm calling it odd, so I'm on rocky ground already. But considering he's what Manchester United and England's top goalscorer of all time, seems ridiculous to say Wayne Rooney. But Rooney, one can't forget that there were times, you know, a, n- a number of times in his career where people were saying, should he be played up top? Mm. on his own like he did for that one season at Manchester United when he did really really well sometimes sometimes he was out on the wing if Rooney was playing in the 90s he would have been he would have formed uh you know he would have been that Sheringham type player just just off the front man if you see what I mean and that would have worked really really well I think and I know he did that yeah. at times uh, for England with say Owen for example uh, and if you think about Euro 2004 it was his best international tournament when he played that role uh, but but Rooney could be uh, put in there, I think. Yeah, and he was a superior player to Sheringham as well in in, in, yeah. in every way with, with with the best will in the world. I mean, mm. but I do tend to think that it's it's not just formations; it's it's the players you have around you because yeah. the best coaches, whether it be I don't know Antonio Conte today or Jose mm-hmm. Mourinho in the past, they let the talent lead them to a certain extent. You know, they're not yeah. fixed to any particular dogma. Sure. And, and they'll do their best to get the best out of the the players around them. I, I mean, I tend to think Wayne Rooney's career, for example, would be loads different if he'd have played like 12, 13 years with Cristiano Ronaldo because mm. the peak of them at Manchester yeah. United is the peak of Rooney. I don't think it's the yeah. peak of Cristiano Ronaldo, but it's definitely the peak of Rooney because mm. they were so on the same wavelength. I mean, mm. it is, it's beautiful, actually, when you when you go back and... Look at it. Sorry, non-United fans, but it it, re- it really is. It's it's, it's incredible. Um, but when you're talking about the Sheringham type of player, mm-hmm. I think if you, if you look at it, I I think he, there are systems in which he could have worked up top on on his own. Mm-hmm. And if if we look at Francesco Totti, for example, yeah, that, um, that he leapt to mind as well. Yeah, yeah, some someone like him who. You know, when you think of how much he thrived in this sort of strikerless formation yeah. at, um, under Luciano Spalletti at Roma the first time, that's that's somewhere you could imagine sharing them. And interestingly, mm-hmm. if you talk about players who would thrive even more in current tactical systems, I think Francesco Totti is exactly one of those players. I mean, I know you look at his career and you think, well, what, what could you do better? And, and not much. I think is the answer. But given that the false nine is much more of a thing post what post Pep at Barcelona, I suppose mm-hmm. I, I would have been really interested to see it was, it was always, you know, linked with Real Madrid. He was incredibly close to going to Real Madrid, of course, Totti. Can you mm-hmm. imagine say if I don't know, Messi left Barcelona before Pep got there, for example, yeah, Can yeah. you imagine? I, I wouldn't have been quite the same, but mm. Totti in that Barcelona team would have been very, very interesting indeed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you mentioned 
Messi. I was almost sort of tempted to to mention him, but I suppose Barcelona for many many years have played a four three three, and and so actually I think I think he's always been okay. But uh, I might I might just finish uh, with with saying the name Danny Murphy because Murphy. Oh, yeah. Murphy was when you mentioned earlier about oh well he wasn't six foot four and he couldn't dominate the centre midfield. Murphy was a little guy, mm. um, and yeah maybe at Liverpool slightly, perhaps not. Um, you know, dominating the midfield for them, especially had they had Gerrard as well and a couple of other decent names to say the least. Uh, but he was sometimes farmed out on on the on the flanks. He was not a winger. He was very much a midfielder, and I think if you had Murphy in a midfield three nowadays with his talent, I think he would have he would have been right up there because I saw him play a lot for Fulham towards the end of I suppose towards the end of his career, if you like, with him and Dixon or two in the midfield, and Fulham playing at times sort of quite dynamic formations, um, albeit in the sort of trying to restrict the opposition <laughs> type ways, especially under Hodgson and so on. Um, he was brilliant in there. And I think if Murphy had a couple of others in the midfield with him, I think he would have been a much more appreciated player than perhaps he was, other than with Fulham fans. For balance, I suppose I should stick up for uh, Luke Moore's Portsmouth and say yeah. Sylvain Distin actually would be mm-hmm. even more useful in today's football. The fact mm-hmm. that he's that left-footed centre-back who can play yeah. centre-back, left-back, he would be brilliant in in the left side of a of, of a, th- a three man defence, and um, I suppose he would be almost like I don't know a poor man's Eric Abidal, which leads you to Eric Abidal, who would definitely be brilliant in in any of those situations, left back or <laughs> very true, or, or centre back or back three. Yeah, Aaron, great question. Enjoyed that. It was and we're going to finish on that. No, Andy. Hooray! It's been a pleasure, as always. <laughs> Hooray! We've done it again. We've got to another... We've, we've got to the end of the mailbag for another week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for your questions, everybody. It has been a pleasure listening to Andy answer them. Do get them in. Do get them in on the Discord. You know where to go, or you can email us. There's, all, there's lots of avenues. You've no excuses. Uh, but until next time, thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. And thank you, Ramblers, for your questions. Absolutely right. We'll see you next week. Stakhanov Production.